1: We are crushing through these team top prospect lists. Another team in the NL Central. We're talking Cincinnati Reds today on the call up. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And Jack, we had a little bit more fun probably in previous years breaking down this red system. But I will say it was interesting to dig a little bit deeper. They still have a lot of the same names that we've been discussing at the top. But I think it's been interesting to see the way that some of these new draftees kind of fit in with some other names graduating and you got to cut the red, some slack, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they've graduated a lot of studs over the last year. And it's really interesting to see who can maybe help replenish that because there are a lot of young, interesting players that could make a big leap in 24. And it was pretty difficult to try to decide and figure out and decipher which one of those guys it could be. Cause there's a lot of guys in the same bucket there that we're going to talk about.
2: Yeah, so looking at guys that have since graduated in the last, I guess, two years, you could say. uh, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McLean, Christian Encarnacion Strand, Andrew Abbott, um, who who else am I missing? India graduated in 21. Like, there are so many, tons. So I, I think we note in the intro, like, this organization has graduated as many top 100 caliber prospects as any organization in baseball and, yeah. and the fact that they can retool is such a testament to Nick crawl's ability to draft and we'll note like hey we kind of consider the Reds as one of those you know lower budget teams they're always in the bottom 10 in payroll they forked over over three million dollars for a certain guy in this past IFA cycle and they still, forked over over a mill for another guy like they spend accordingly on guys that they really believe in so I, I think allocating your funds in in big ticket ways on the IFA market and drafting really effectively have the Reds looking like one of those systems
1: that's just always going to be good they're never going to be one of the worst in baseball a hundred percent and you all, you also should note that we graduate Noel V Marte by our standards and that's a, some, the one thing that we want to keep pushing here is that you know, we don't want to rank Noel V Marte. I'd rather have an extra spot here to be able to talk about a Cole Schoenwetter or, or some of these other prospects that are new and that we want to know more about going into 24, than talk about a guy that had over 120 plate appearances at the big league level showed that he could do it. And we, we know, Noel V Marte. So in this exercise, he's graduated from our list too. So I don't know if you even mentioned Spencer steer, like Will Benson was even a prospect. Steer. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys that have graduated that were solid prospects in this system, whether they were stars or just really solid 45, 50 future value guys. And it's been interesting to see the way that they've tried to replenish it. And I think they're doing a pretty good job. The last note I'll mention before we get into the names to watch. And of course, as always, you can follow along with the link in the episode description and read those write-ups. We have it all you know, broken down there in detail on just baseball.com. There is something to be said about the fact that they are just going for as many, I think young international free agents is as really any team. I think in their division, it's been amazing to see how many guys that they've tried to go after. And it's not just the $3 million Alfredo Dunos. It's also a hundred thousand here, 200,000 there. It's also identifying some young players from other teams, trading for a Hector Rodriguez from the Mets and being able to kind of scout a little bit better between the margins and and pluck players from the DSL and from the complex, which is all the things that you have to do. If you're going to be a cheaper team, which the reds, as you said, let's be honest, they are. So this is the way to work between the margins and build some sustainable success. We'll jump right into the names to watch. And as always, this is this is where Jack cooks. Jack kind of puts together a lot of the names to watch and we do it alphabetically. So there is no priority here. As always, that, that's something that we have to remind uh, people, because if we did have to do it in order, it'd probably give me a headache and we'd end up taking way longer on these lists. But, Jack, I'll let you walk us through it, and then I'll fill in at the end uh, with with any additional thoughts on on certain guys.
2: Yeah, one more point before we jump into the names to watch. I I love the point that you bring up when it comes to the Reds needing to spend their time on working between the margins as opposed to spending their time on major league free agents. The way that I kind of like looking at front offices in baseball is all 30 teams spend – similar resources on players and on on developing talent. And what I mean by resources is for some people, that definition is money. For some, that definition is time. For some, that definition is effort. And I think for the Reds, it is time and effort as opposed to money. For a team like the Mets, it's clearly money and they will buy prospects when they screw up the major league issue. So I, I do think that You know, like the Reds are allocating their resources in the right place if if they are going to function like this. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Jumping into the names to watch. Victor Acosta is I know uh, a guy that a lot of the industry does like. He's 19 years old. He signed for nearly two million dollars with San Diego. He came back in the Brandon Drury deal. It was a good get for Drury. He just finished up a year in high A. I think he's too far off for, you know, us to really like stamp. Hey, this guy's going to be really good. Jay Allen, another guy that kind of falls into that, like came with a lot of fanfare as the 30th overall pick in 2021. He just hasn't been healthy. So 141 games in his first three pro seasons played 31 games this year. He hit a buck 63. You you can't judge that guy enough to make him a top 15 prospect after 31 games in which he hit one sixty three as a 21 year old. Uh, Reese Hines is kind of the first guy that I'm like, you know what? He had a really good year. Reese Hines in 109 games, drove in 98 runs, and he had a 2020 season. I I think the question two years ago was probably, is this guy a DH? I think that answer now is a resounding no. Do you think Reese Hines can be a big leaguer in 2024? I
1: I can. I I can see it. The the thing is, athletically, he's definitely proven that he can settle into a corner outfield spot. He's proven now that he can time up fastballs enough to pulverize them. But, man, there's some still some really bad swings of breaking balls. And, yeah. and that's the concern. He went nuts. And I want to give him credit for that. Like, it was really nice to see him at least start to tap into that power in games. But if he's playing at the big league level, I do think he's going to kind of get chewed up a little bit. So I do think he could be a mistake-hitting platoon guy with yeah. some athleticism and the ability to play defense. I mean, he was trending towards non-prospect status before. And the way that he finished last year put him back on the, at least, names-to-watch prospect status radar, which – is encouraging. And he still is young and talk about injuries. Another guy that's been hurt a ton. If he can even just be semi-competitive against breaking balls, I do think we could see him at the big leagues by the end of the year.
2: The 33% K rate is like very hard to swallow. That's like the big pill that you don't want to take. Um, Hunter Holland left-hander was at Arkansas after two years at San Jack. And this guy, Not very many guys spend two years at San Jack. They'll go there for a year after they're in a bullpen in the SEC. And it's like, wait, I want to get drafted a year early and I'm not getting the opportunity here at, you know, wherever it is. He actually did the opposite of Jackson Rutledge. Rutledge went from Arkansas to San Jack. Holland went from San Jack for two years to Arkansas. Um, And he was good, man. Like he's not blow you away with crazy stuff. He's not 13 punch outs per nine. But he was an innings eater for Arkansas this year. And I think that they got a high floor lefty in the Mm -hmm. middle rounds in this past draft. Jacob Hurtabees is one of my favorite stories in minor Mm -hmm. league baseball. Um, He is cut from the Noah song cloth without going on the submarine. Hurtabees did get uh, a waiver. I I think from, Mm -hmm. is it a waiver? Is it clearance? I have no idea what it is, but
1: it's it's waiver adjacent. If they don't call it that, it basically, yeah,
2: He he didn't have to go serve after graduating from West Point, but he was just added to the Reds 40-man roster. And if the casual baseball fan saw that, I don't think the casual baseball fan is going in, in 40-man roster hunting. But if you saw this and said, hey, wow, that's a great story, but who is that? This guy's a lot more than just a good story. He had a 950 OPS this year. He hit 330, cross double and triple A with a 480 on base percentage, he's going to walk. He's one of the fastest guys in the minor leagues. And he didn't hit a home run in little league. Didn't hit a Homer in high school. Didn't hit a Homer in his four years at West point. His first Homer, since he was playing pitch ball came in the final game of the 2022 season in Chattanooga. And he hit seven this year. So
1: <laughs> I, I don't know how that works. I just loved it. I, I want to add one thing real quick on her to piece. Cause that's crazy information, by the way, he's like a strong guy. He, he, he has pop like there it's there, but the way that he hits, <laughs> it's one of the most unorthodox things that you're going to see. I mean, he's kind of a slap hitter wants to use the speed, really good bat to ball, extremely patient, 14% chase, 87% contact in the zone. Again, the EVs are super low, but that's cause he like wants it that way. He doesn't care. He's just going to slap it around the yard but he can run into some balls pull side. So I'm interested to see if at the big league level they say, all right, Jacob, it's great that you can hit these flares everywhere, but we want you to get an a swing off a little bit more frequently and see what that looks like. Obviously there's a reason why they added him to the 40. He can fly. He can play all three outfield spots. He walks. He's fun. Uh, but I think there's something in there. So it'll be fun to see, you know, what it looks like at the big league level once they give him a shot. And you know, I don't know if there's much more to to prove in, in triple a. So I'm interested to see how they handle him, but cool story and definitely a fun bench piece at the very least with the wheels that he has. I think they saw a better version of Michael Ciani
2: and they just, yep, I agree. with so I agree. So he, he's the guy on the 40 man. That is Ciani adjacent. A couple more Sheng and Lin. I want to say it is uh, he was signed for a little over a million dollars out of Taiwan. Duno was the big ticket. We mentioned Duno was a $3 million signing, but they still had 1.2 million to give to Sheng and Lin he is listed as a two-way guy, as a shortstop slash outfielder slash right-handed pitcher. Um, there are no professional stats on him. I have no idea if he's going to do both, but pretty much every single write-up makes it seem like he is more position player than pitcher. Um, and a position player that is a left-handed hitter with staying power at shortstop. Give it a go, especially if he's a million-dollar free agent. Zach Maxwell's hilarious. Six six two seventy-five. Three years at Georgia Tech, this guy in 97 and two thirds innings walked 98, but he punched out 160 and he's 98 to 99 with the heater. He's got a curveball that'll hit 90, like a power curve that'll legit hit 90. He's just the biggest dude on the bus. And then he's the biggest dude on the mound. And then he throws like the biggest dude in the world. So if he throws strikes, he's got closer type shit. Kind of same deal with Lyon Richardson, who's got closer stuff. Lyon, when he got up, he made four starts at the big league level. It was what? It was 15 walks and 16 and two-thirds innings and 16 earned runs. Like It, it wasn't good. The numbers weren't good in AAA. I think this guy's a relief pitcher, but he's got the chance to be a good one. That drops him outside of the top 15.
1: Yep. That that was the one thing. He was on the edge. He's probably one of the closest in terms of, of cracking the top 15. But the more I looked at the fastball, yes, the velocity is great, but it's a, it's a short arm delivery. It's kind of easy to pick up. And the changeup's a great pitch, but when it's very changeup dependent and the, the command's not great and you're in a lot of fastball counts and the fastball doesn't get the end zone whiff that you like. It's it's kind of hard to to justify him ahead of some of the younger players that we're going to have at 15 onward with a little bit more upside. And then one more note on um, Lynn before you wrap up with the last two guys. I think he played nine games at the complex as a hitter, if I'm not mistaken. So that might be the little tip of of how they're going to handle him unless they just wanted to be careful with, with his arm if he had been throwing, I don't know, in high school a lot or whatever it may be. But – I do think that it probably makes more sense as, as a hitter, given that he's got a sweet left-handed swing and, and I think has a little bit more projection there.
2: And like he was up to 92 on the mound. If, if I've got a shortstop that was up to 92 on the hill, I feel really good about his staying power at
1: shortstop. Like, exactly. And he's 5'11". So like how much more velocity is there in that, in that arm on the mound? And he, he's not the biggest dude. There's not that much projection. I, I like the idea of him being a, a big-armed shortstop.
2: Yeah, Uh, two more. And this guy I kind of fell in love with in this process. Adam Serwinowski has, I think, yet to throw in the inning, but he was a 15th round pick in this past summer's draft. Um, Quick little story. When I was in high school, I was playing with a kid that was committed to a junior college and he he was kind of the classic 25th round draft pick option for some pro teams. Like we had some scouts come out and I had a buddy ask him, it was like, How much would you sign for? And my high school teammate said I would sign for a fucking filet of fish sandwich. I don't think that's Sir but he signed for $125,000 in the 15th round out of high school. So like, I think this guy just wanted to go play pro ball. Um, And he was a freak. Sorry. That was 2022. Um, 27 and a third innings of the complex, he punched out 43 and opponents hit under a buck 50 against him. He is a long lefty with a mid 90s fastball. And if you can go snag that guy in the in the 15th round,
1: Godspeed like that looks awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty nasty stuff and and good extension. Fastball gets on guys big whiff numbers in the limited, you know, uh, just the limited action that we were able to get from him. Uh, that's a name to watch, man. I, I know what we call all these guys, the names to watch, but that's a guy that I see why you got excited about him. And it's easy to see how he could be a big whiff relief pitcher, or potentially if he can just dominate with the heater enough, be able to be a starter and kind of get some momentum rolling for him going into next year.
2: Yeah. Last one is Sammy Stafura, who is the second round pick of the Reds this past year. I think we were both ready to have him penciled into the top 15 And then his showing at the complex happened and he looked overmatched at the complex after he was drafted three for 42 with 23 punch outs. Yeah. Like it's hard to warrant a top 15 spot when you, when you look that overmatched.
1: Yeah. I generally don't like to take anything. I don't like to make major sweeping judgments off of one small samples and two, the complex, but it, it was more so, okay, what did we have to work with? Before the draft limited high school video in the Northeast, right? Yeah. He's a Northeast kid too. Like it's, there wasn't much there. And then I get to get some more detailed and open side looks and just a little bit more availability of Stafura. And I think he could be a good player, right? He's got good tools. He could be a, a good defensive shortstop. There's some projection impact wise there, but the swing's just really far off. He's a project and compared to some of the other, projects that we're going to talk about in the top 15, that swing was just too far off for me uh, to have him in that top 15. I, I still like the idea of the way they approached the draft, the way they were able to snag him in addition to and wetter and some other pieces. But ultimately that swing is just too far off for me to, to confidently put him in the top 15. I, I wouldn't say it's an overreaction to the struggles there, even though there were pretty blatant struggles, it was more, he was on the edge already. And then with more available video, it was kind of all I needed to say, okay, I think he's just on the outside looking in here. Yeah, Going into these top 15 now, we'll start with number 15. And it was funny because it was almost, we talked about comparing apples to oranges versus apples to apples when we did the top catching prospects in the last episode. And when we talk about the same system, oftentimes it's apples to oranges because we're not comparing across the same position. In this instance, it's apples to apples because Leonardo Balcazar is a shortstop who I just think is, further ahead right now of Sammy Stafura and they're pretty much in the same close enough age range and Balcazar's already shown a little bit more you know, at the professional level. Yes, he's been given up more opportunity to do so but he also just looks far more advanced. Balcazar unfortunately went down with a torn ACL right after a walk-off win uh, very early into the 2023 season about 18 games in at low A. He was actually putting up some good offensive numbers. I like Balcazar's glove the most. That's really where I think he gets the most value as an above average shortstop with a great chance of sticking there. I do wonder what the hit tool looks like. You know, It is a simple swing, but he, he often looked rushed at the plate. Uh, it, it seemed like his timing was inconsistent. Fastballs really chewed him up. And if you look at the whiff rates in the zone, dating all the way back to his first professional at bat, there's always been some issues with whiff in the zone on fastballs. That's a little concerning for me. Yes. He's been able to circumvent that and produce, But when you watch these at bats, you see a guy that with good fastballs, they just get on him too quick. So that in tandem with the torn ACL and limited looks kept him a little bit further back. I I did have him a little bit higher in this process, early in this process. And then certain players that we'll talk about just impressing me a little bit more, put them ahead. So it wasn't as much of an indictment on Balgazar. It was more, hey, we only had 18 games at low A and he didn't have enough opportunity to quell some of the red flags and some of these other guys. I kind of liked what I saw a little bit more. I still think Balcazar could be a name that ends up jumping up pretty quickly. Now that he's healthy, he's apparently put on a little bit of strength as he's been rehabbing his knee, kind of just focused on, on everything, which is great to hear. And hopefully he's back and ready to go full, full fledged, you know, at the start of spring training.
2: Yeah, just some numbers that jump out. Um, he can swipe bags. He didn't have the opportunity to do it this year. I wonder how he bounces back from that torn mm-hmm. ACL. I'd assume well, because he's 19 years old. He's 19 years old, 29 games at the DSL in 21. He had an 880 OPS. Like it's 880 OPS in the DSL, 880 OPS at the complex, 890 OPS in 18 games in Daytona. So he's clearly slugging enough and 18 games in Daytona, nine starts at short two at DH three at third, three at second. So he can play all three in mm-hmm. four positions. So y- you like that versatility from a 19 year old. Yes. He'll start the year in low a
1: but he finishes in Dayton. A hundred percent. Especially after already, I know it was short, but getting that taste at the, at the beginning of last year, I'm used to saying at the end, at the beginning of last year, before the injury average hit, you can dream on maybe average or fringy power, a slightly above average run above average defense at shortstop and all over the infield. That's, that's a solid player that has a, a role on, on every big league roster. If that all comes together for him coming in at 14 was a guy that was just really difficult to rank. Uh, And we, we alluded to him earlier, Alfredo Duno catcher, the crown jewel of, of the reds, you know, international free agent class in, in 2023 signed for $3.1 million. And it's, it's easy to see why the Reds were so excited about this guy. He's a monster. It's hard to believe that he's 17 years old. He's going to be 18 in a month. I mean, 6'2", 210, and hits mammoth. Mammoth home runs when he gets a hold of them already. He's popped exit velocities as high as a 111. These kids are just coming out different nowadays when it, when it comes to the impact and the athleticism. He actually moves pretty well. So while I am concerned that he's just going to get too big and, and just – thickened too much to stick at catcher you, you can't say that until it really happens it's just something that you have to be cognizant of and he's pretty athletic though so there 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 is some hope that he can stick behind the dish my biggest issue was the swing It it's probably uh, aside from Stephora, probably one of the furthest away from where you want it to be swing wise but of course he's he's 17 and yeah. i think he's a guy that's probably just relied on Natural ability to demolish baseballs at the amateur ranks, you know, before this. And he's also just not really been swinging a bat that long. He's 17, but it was cool to see how much power's in there to be able to run into 111, to be able to, to run into balls 105, 106, 107 pretty routinely. But there's a lot of whiff in the zone. He leaves his base pretty easily elevated fastballs. He's you know standing up in his swing, which you know really is, makes it hard to catch up to anything. And then slower stuff, softer stuff. He was lunging onto that front foot. He's very very raw. He can impact the ball, but you know when you're whiffing in the zone at a thirty percent clip, and you have those very obvious um, you know swing issues at this point, he's got plenty of time to iron it out. But it's hard to project that when I'm. It's really plus plus raw power, and then what the heck else? it's hard to conceptualize what kind of player he could be, but there's so much time to figure that out. I just don't know if I could take him over the next 13 names, given the uncertainty.
2: He's such a big dude, though. He's huge. And, like, he clearly got into that power. I just I wonder if he makes any proactive changes because he was so good in the DSL this year. That's the thing. He signs for massive money, right? Like, you get a ton of money. You think you're really good. You go to the DSL. You think you're really good. Oh, damn! he hit 300 with a 950 OPS like he got into a 111 and he hit six homers. He might just like think that he's good right now and he might go to a place where, you know, he struggles. So I don't know. It would be I think it would be tough to like place anything on this guy until he gets to a, a spot that frankly matches his abilities.
1: Yeah, and, and that's why it's so tough to rank these kind of guys. And usually we don't push DSL prospects too too quickly unless they're just so otherworldly, athletic, and impressive beyond their years, like a Ramon Ramirez, right? And and those are like one-off every – oh, yeah, and Lazaro. Well, Lazaro – that's the thing is like I was always even hesitant on Lazaro, and, and that was a guy that – was still pushed pretty high because he hit the ball 118 and it's a left-handed bat. And, and some of the numbers that he put up were insane, but it wasn't really until it started happening at the complex where people start taking it really seriously. If he does it at the complex, even with some of the whiff issues, I'll start to be a bit more receptive. He does have a good arm. I I, I think if he can prove that he can stick back there, I'm really hoping to get an in-person look at him at the complex this coming year. I'll feel a little bit more confident, but this is a guy, I'll just be fully honest. It was, Pretty difficult to rank him. And I felt like no matter where I put him, it was an educated guess at best. I I know that this is all technically an educated guess, but that felt like the least educated guess, I guess, of all of all of these guys so far. Yeah. 13. This is a player that I think you'll see kind of all over the place. And I think we probably skew on the lower side. Carlos Jorge. I get why people are excited about him. And he's he's a good player. He's a 13th ranked prospect in in an average system. But there's some things that need to come along. Let's start with the positive. Left-handed bat, plus runner, great athlete, great body control, plays a good second base. They said, hey, Carlos, welcome to high A. We also want you to play some center because we have so many infielders here. They throw him out in center. I was having fun in that video. It was only a dozen games, but he was making over-the-shoulder grabs. His arm looked better than I thought it was. You know, they've they've always said, and in the infield video, I saw it looked like an average arm. When he gets a little bit behind that in terms of momentum, it played his average comfortably. So the arm played up a little bit. I think center field might help his profile, but maybe the versatility helps his profile overall. I've seen some very generous power grades for him, and I don't understand them, to be honest. He's 5'10", 170. The, the slug, it was there in stretches in the Florida State League. I think that was just because he gets into that pull side and punished mistakes. The exit velocities are below average. There's not that much projection there. I, I, I don't know why we were seeing above-average power grades, I, I, to be totally honest. I, I think it's fringy at best, and I don't know how much projection's there. What I do like, though, is – he does have some natural bat speed. There is some natural loft there, but that loft also resulted in a swing and a barrel that kind of leaves the zone too quickly sometimes. And he really struggled against breaking balls. Pulverizes fastballs to an OPS just shy of a thousand, but breaking balls chewed him up. Six thirty OPS against all secondaries. That's including changeups with just a sixty-seven percent in-zone contact rate. If you watch his swings on on breaking balls, it just was not comfortable in the, the path just seemed to not give him a chance at all. Even if the body was a little bit off, a lot of guys still have the barrel living in the zone long enough to spoil it for him. It was like no chance. And, and that's something that he's going to need to work on. I think that's mostly because of how, how much he likes to get into the pull side and lift. It's very geared for lift and pull. And when you're leaving and lifting, it's going to be hard to stay on anything that's breaking downward or fading away from you.
2: Yeah, so on the page, I guess, like, the more generous power numbers do make sense because he was a 19-year-old in the Florida State League and the Midwest League that hit 12 homers, which, yeah. like, is is really impressive. But, you know, situationally speaking, you're, you're supplying context that, like, not many do have or seek. Um, I will say slug in Daytona, his worst month slugging-wise in Daytona was 430. So it wow. was still good. I will say like 10 triples really helps that. So yeah. triples hitters have higher slugs than like they typically slug at. Like So th- the EVs, that totally makes sense. I will say like 12 homers from a 19 year old is impressive, especially in Florida.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think with the triples, a lot of those triples are probably doubles at the higher levels, maybe even singles at times yeah. at the higher levels. And, and that really helps in the slugging department, too. But yeah, it, the the biggest concern for me is the struggles with breaking balls. There's not a ton of projection there, and, and how much he is selling out to the pull side. So that's the other reason why I don't know if the power translates the same way. Yeah, you can sell out to the pull side, and pitchers are gonna get the scouting report that says he's selling out to the pull side. They try to work away from him, and they leave it over the middle of the plate. Jorge's gonna pull that for a homer. But as he gets, you know, as he promotes and gets to tougher competition. I think that's something that he's just not going to get as much of. And when he was getting stuff on the outer half, it was it was not good. He he did not hit very well on pitches on the outer half. I still think he has the goods to be an impressive player as a guy that can play a good center field, play a good second base, run into you know at least average pull side power, and hopefully have a fringy field to hit at least average maybe that can make him an everyday player. But I just feel like it was – one of those where I'm trying to shoehorn a big league profile, or I'm trying to like piece it all together and force it to you where it's, it's hard to see it unless he sees a, a, an uptick in power or makes a big leap in the bat to ball department, just for a little bit more context on just the raw power side of things, max exit velocity last year of just 104 miles per hour. So, I mean, that's, that's going to be one of the lowest figures in the big leagues. He's got time, but Again, how much projection is there physically? I don't know. Uh, the The fact that he can hit the ball in the air pretty consistently does help, though. Number twelve. <laughs> what a profile this is, man! these lower level reds guys are so hard to stack because they all have a different, unique red flag that is. You got to kind of try to sift through it and say, okay, how confident am I? in his ability to mitigate this red flag or how confident am i in his green flags that they can right. overcome you know some of the red flags it, it's it's tough but hector rodriguez at number 12 he just gets the edge over jorge because i think the, the overall hitting ability is a little bit better uh, i think the the raw power is definitely better and he he plays a good center field plus runner it's tough, though, man, when you have a chase rate of nearly 50%, 50 percent, 50, 0 50 percent. That's one of the highest figures in all of professional baseball. I don't know how you succeed that way, but he has so far. And not only has he succeeded at the lower levels, not only did he get to high A last year as a 19 year old. And remember, this is a hundred thousand dollar international free agent that the Reds sniped. From the Mets in, in a, you know, almost mindless trade with the Naquin deal, right? Yeah. yeah like a, a, a mindless trade. It, it's it's tough because if he were to cut his chase right down, I think this guy is easily a top 10 prospect in the system. The field of hits actually, I think, above average in terms of the feel for the barrel. And that's why it's hard to put a hit tool on him. I think I could probably put a 40 future, but there just hasn't been any slowing of the chase rate in the winter league where he's going nuts right now, which he says a lot about be. him as one of the younger guys out there. And I know you'll contextualize that he's still chasing egregiously. So, I, I mean, if he does it for another year, I'll adjust accordingly. I'll side on, you know, history, which has shown us that nobody that chases this much succeeds, unless you're Javier Baez and even him, like look at the ups and downs here. Right. It, it's, it's a tough one to, to kind of peg here, but, You can't argue against what he's done so far. You can't argue against the bat speed. He catches up to velocity ridiculously well. A 1,000 OPS against fastballs, 94 plus. Uh, And he's put up exit velocities as high as 110. So there's the offensive potential there to be an everyday big leaguer. But man, you can't chase half the time. So,
2: <laughs> contextualizing the Lightum thing, this guy's like actually a regular. And you mentioned he's balling out right now. He's hitting 300. He's got an 830 OPS. Um, he is one of five guys to play 35 or more games for uh, Leones de Escojito, which is one of the two teams in Santo Domingo. Uh, the other four names Eric Gonzalez, seven year big leaguer, Junior Lake, Franiel <laughs> Reyes. Jose Marmolejos, 31-year-old, 33-year-old, 19-year-old Hector Rodriguez, 27-year-old Fran Mule Reyes, 30-year-old Jose Marmalejos. So the fact that he's doing this, like just sandwiched by a bunch of 30-year-olds is fascinating. Uh, you think they would tell him to stop swinging, but that just hasn't been the case. 43 games, he's walked seven times. So... I hope that there's some patience rubbing off on him. Jose Ramirez was on that team. Caminero has been his teammate. Like, hopefully Kamenaro is telling him to stop swinging a little bit. But, man, like, (laughs) that's a mind-boggling number. And every organization has a guy that swings a lot. But nobody has somebody that swings this much.
1: The thing is, is how do you get through to a young player, a 19-year-old, who's probably succeeded his entire life? I'm balling out. You need to swing. Yes. Why would he? Why would he listen? I wouldn't.
2: He doesn't. It's the do no thing. It's like, don't tell me what to do. I got three million dollars as a 16 year old and I'm balling out in the DSL. Like, don't tell me what I'm not
1: doing right until I am bad. And like, could could you imagine? Could you imagine if some nerd like me walks up to you after you went three for four on the backfields? And I'm like, hey, Hector, great job, man. By the way, you know, you you should probably like cut down on the uh, on the chase rate a little bit. What is he going to say to me?
2: He just punched and threw elbows. I was just
1: doing it for the last five seconds. <laughs> yeah, not everybody can hear that. <laughs> you were shadow boxing for those who want to know. Like, yeah, I'd probably I'd want to stick me in the face too. Like it, that's that's the challenge is like it, you're trying to, to, to get these guys to be ready for the next levels. But sometimes there's guys that can just, just be outliers. I still think to be an outlier, it's got to be like 40%. He's got to get it to like 40. And maybe that will happen. And it's probably going to take him struggling. At the high A level or the double A level to have that moment. It's just we'll see if it comes. If it never comes, great. I think it's going to. Um, and by the way, that was some good shadow boxing. Um I I just I just wonder when it's gonna happen, but I hope it doesn't. I hope he becomes the first guy that just swings 80% of the time and has Mm -hmm. no issue with it. But yeah, until then, I think there's gonna probably be some some growing pains. I do think he can stick in center. And again, I really like the bat speed. He actually puts together good swings on breaking ball. So if he can reel that in a little bit, he could go, he could be a top 100 type guy. Like he's got that kind of talent. It's just another dude that I'm sitting in bed. Like where the hell do I rank this guy at 1. am trying to figure it out. And we settled on number 12.
2: <laughs> yeah. I need to point you in the direction of some like NyQuil or something. Like, <sighs> you, you need to stop thinking about Hector Rodriguez when you're falling asleep. Um, I've yeah. It I, 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 go ahead. Good news is, time is on his side. He's 19 years old in high A. He's got so much
1: time to figure this out. I was going to say, back to your sleeping issues. Yeah. No, I was going to say, the the next one is going to make it even worse. I came up with this comp for Blake Dunn actually in the middle of the night. Um, But no, he does have plenty of time. And that's an excellent point.
2: And you're like a songwriter, man. You you get out of bed (laughs) and just go to your notepad.
1: This one, I I think I texted our guy, Clay Snowden, uh, just like with the comp immediately. And he's like, I'd love that. But like, it's just such a ridiculous, like just even comparison to make. But I agree. Hector's got plenty of time. Blake Dunn, number 11. Another kind of where do you rank him guy? That's the theme of this system is like, where the heck do you rank this guy? But the the cool thing with Dunn is another awesome story is like a two-way guy or not a two-way guy, two-sport athlete. Played football all the way through high school. Had some offers to do that as well. Smaller, like 5'11", but very stocky. Still athletic at 210. Runs yeah. really well. 15th round pick out of Western Michigan. A guy that I saw on the Cape. And he, he stood out to me just as a hard-nosed player. A guy that just it plays the game at 100 miles per hour, like a football player, which, which was cool to see. Um, but the question was always, is the hit tool going to be there? And he's always hit for average at every stop. But the question has still remained, is the hit tool going to be there? I think that he is quieted those concerns enough to be able to say, Hey, this guy could have a big league role. I do still think that there are some hit tool questions at the highest level that could be exposed to a degree, but I think this guy can hit enough to to be a platoon piece at the big league level. And that's why we have him kind of in the, between that 45 50 future value spot. What's interesting is I don't see a lot of people really, or anyone in the, in the industry really have him in the top, 12 or 13 or 15 or whatever. And I get it because he's 25. But at the same time, look at Jacob Herdebees, who I think he has a lot more going for him than Herdebees. Herdebes yeah. was added to the 40 man. Some of these guys that we just talked about may never be added to the 40 man. So we gotta we gotta acknowledge the floor on some of these guys. And what Blake Dunn did last year, specifically in double A, really hammers home what this perceived floor can be, which is a, a potentially a platoon fourth outfielder who can really motor.
2: Uh, he looked he looked like way more than that. Wasn't he first team all MILB for us? Yeah. I mean I mean like he was man. It's the Acuna thing where he kept pushing the bar. Like Acuna was what the sixth 40, 40 or the seventh 40, 40. And then like the first 40, 50 and the first 40, 60 and the first 40, 70, like done. He was 2020, 20, 20, but he was also 2030, but he was also 20, 40. And then he was also 20, 50. Like yeah. if you're swiping 50 bags at a high efficiency, it was 54 for 61. And you hit 23 pumps. And that's, and that's
1: not the complex. Like, that's, no. that's games in double a that's in the Southern league. And, yeah. and he was doing it against some good pitching too. I, uh, you know, I was watching, I was having fun watching some good at bats with Cade Horton, you know, battling in certain spots. There had a little check swing, excuse me, single. He also got rung up on a three, two pitch. That was a great take. That was a ball. Uh, it's always fun watching those specific, like best versus best in the minor leagues that are always a lot of fun, but with yeah. Dunn, I think that there's some challenges, in terms of the, the bat living in the zone long enough, he could get a little bit spinny and he can leave with his front side. And when he does that, the barrel kind of goes in and out of the zone. You'll see some swings and misses where it looks like his top hand almost takes over, where it looks like it's just yanking it out of the zone. And that's part of him, I think, just trying to be direct to the baseball and just be short and punchy because he's so strong. And what's amazing is even being short and punchy and in and out of the zone, his 90th percentile exit velocity was one Oh five. That's a full tick and a half above big league average. He boosted a 112. He hit a home run on 112 miles an hour, an absolute moonshot. So pitches, middle end hangers, he's going to crush them. Uh, you know, I think the power really only translates at the big league level on hangers and fastballs kind of left over the plate. That's fine because he demolishes lefties. He hits well enough on breaking stuff and he's extremely patient. And that's what put me over the top with him. Because you have the patience, the ability to to draw walks. So even if the hit tool is fringy at best uh, against big league competition, hedges that with a 20% chase rate. He has above average raw power. And he just seems to have a knack for finding the barrel and spoiling tough pitches. And I I think that at the very least, this guy is a short platoon option that can play all three outfield spots. I mean, he destroys left-handed pitching. He had an OPS over 1,200 against Southpaws in 2023. I think that's exactly what the Reds need in their outfield going in next year. Herdabies is another lefty. You, You look at their outfield. Friedel can't really hit lefties. Fraley can't really hit lefties. That's a guy that can spell that a little bit while playing all three outfield spots. We will go into the top 10 in a moment here. Before that, a quick break.
0: Number 10, as we enter
1: now, I think some of the most exciting, I think it gets really interesting where you go from 11 and a lot of systems are like this, but I think in the red system, it really jumps up in terms of upside where you get into the top 10 and all of a sudden you're seeing 50 plus, which means I don't, I can't comfortably put a 55 future value on this guy, but I can see a, a very viable path to 55. Once I either see more of him or he's able to unlock some of the things that I think he can unlock. Cole Schoenwetter I think is a little bit of both in this instance because right-handed pitching prospect who was part of that draft class in 2023 uh, I got to update that on the screen there but fourth rounder that got big money it was a really unique approach I think to be able to shell out more first DeFora and and wetter. and they gave him 1.9 million dollars I mean that's that's what would you say like second round mid second round money really second
2: screen. round money I think it was yeah, second round t- money in a fourth round yeah
1: second round money and a guy that really started to enjoy some helium with what he did on the summer circuit. Uh, there was an a couple at bats against Walker Martin, who was one of my you know, favorite high school guys. As we talked about the Rockies system, a guy that just has a really, really good feel to hit and is, is a really well-rounded hitter. Um, and you look at what he was able to do in terms of just the feel to hit the, the polish with the swing, and he's taking advantage of a lot of other guys, and then all of a sudden, you just see him overpowered by Show and Wetter fastball, just jumping at the top of the zone, getting right by guys. And what stands out to me is he's very athletic on the mound. He's six three. He works downhill, and he gets good extension. But the arm speed is impressive. The ball just takes off out of his hand. It's twenty four hundred plus RPMs. I don't have the IVB numbers, but I would I could confidently say that it's eighteen plus inches of IVB. I wouldn't be surprised if he forts with 20 inches. That's great with the fastball already in the low nineties. I think easily can get to the mid nineties, a good spike curve with downward bite and a changeup that flashes at least average. That's a three pitch mix there. I think the command is really good already. Smooth delivery. You could see probably above average command. Once it all comes together, I really like what Show and can be.
2: I'm just I'm impressed by how fluid he moves. I've got some video playing on the iPad right now, and I'm just like I'm watching you know the high spin fastball play really well at the top of the zone, and then I'm watching that you know like low 70s breaking ball snap off. And you know, I know in a perfect world, like that low 70s breaking ball is a high 70s breaking ball, and it still maintains that good shape. It, it is that big loopy one that everybody loved with Liberator until it wasn't good, and now it's like mm, maybe you should harden that up a little bit. and He did, uh, but with how athletic this guy's like arm path is and his delivery is it's clean, but it's, it's a little whippy at the same time. And I think you only do that if you're long and you know where stuff is going and he clearly knows where everything is going.
1: Yeah. And I said, Walker Martin Rockies, he's from Colorado drafted by the giants. Uh, so clarification there, but just the way he was able to overpower, I think what really put him on the map too, was what he did in, uh, One of the perfect game showcases just struck out the side, just overpowering. But you mentioned that the tunneling of that, I love the high carry fastball with that spike curve. It's just a nightmare for hitters and, and lefties and righties. I think it lessens the need for a third pitch when you have a a pair of pitches that could tunnel equally well against lefties and righties. Of course the changeup though does look like it can at least be an average pitch. So what stands out to me is that easy delivery, the athleticism, the arm speed, You figure at 6'3", 190, he's probably going to see a tick up. I would put money on him uh, having an uptick professionally in 2024. And if he's sitting with that, with those fastball characteristics, if he's sitting 94, 95, that's a potentially plus-plus heater. And at that point, he's going to just overpower guys at the lower levels and quickly fly through. Yeah. Number nine, probably the most exciting of the – lower level international free agents that we've talked about Ricardo Cabrera. I think it's again, you can interchange a lot of these guys and and I know that a lot of different outlets have interchanged a lot of these guys for me, Cabrera kind of just has a leg up on a lot of the, on all the other international free agent, lower level type prospects in this red system because of the blend of a few things. You look across the board, it's pretty much fifties to, maybe 55s until you get to the fielding tool, which if he moves to third, I think can also be a 55. He's also really young. He's younger than some of these other guys. He doesn't look it, but he was 18 all last year. Yeah, it, it's, it's something that's pretty remarkable when he finishes a year in low A, only five games, but finishes a year in low A when he was 18 the entire season. He is as good against fastballs as they come. And, and it was insane to look at those numbers. And I know it's the complex and five low A games, but all of these guys that we've talked about have had some pretty blatant struggles against breaking balls. That's been a theme in the red system. I know lower-level hitters generally struggle against breaking balls, but it, it's more egregious so far in this red system. Two ways that you can rectify that: be extremely patient and not be as bad as the other guys we're comparing you to uh, against breaking balls, or pulverize baseballs that are that are heaters better than anybody else. And that's what Cabrera does. Nobody in the system at least in the lower levels hits fastballs as well as Ricardo Cabrera does it just for an example here against four seamers last year he hit well over 400 with a 91% in zone contact rate now the flip side he hit just 150 with a 24% swinging strike rate against breaking balls so he needs to improve the pitch recognition a lot of really half-hearted swings it looked like he wasn't even looking for spin it looked like he was just selling out for heat and if it wasn't heat swing and miss okay I'll sell out for heat again And and he'll make some changes. Again, he was 18, but his ability to hit fastballs like this is going to really elevate that floor. Then projecting, I think, more easily above average raw power. The EVs are already above average for his age. And then on top of that, I think has a outside shot at sticking at shortstop and has a good chance of being a good third baseman. It's pretty easy to see why Cabrera, in my opinion, is a little bit ahead of some of these other guys.
2: Yeah, um, I, it was a pretty even split between short and third in the complex. And then we, when he got to Daytona, he played, what, five games, right? Four at yeah. short, one at third. But at the complex, it was 19 starts at short, 17 starts at third. So he is like a third baseman, it seems. I, I hmm. feel like if you have not even split, you're a third baseman. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's yeah, not really. One. Yeah, so if you're like actually a good shortstop, then you're going to play shortstop all the time. So, you know, take that, you know, with what you will. But, um, yeah, I don't know much about him because like it was all complex looks. Having said that, it's exciting. Just like looking at the page and and thinking, okay, if you get fifty fives across the board from a guy that was eighteen years old and got off the complex at eighteen years old, it's it's something to be I don't know, amped about. How does like
1: four thirty against fastball sound?
2: Yeah, it's great. Like, <laughs> but everything evens out. It seems like th- those numbers were atrocious against breaking balls.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's where it's like, okay, you can get away with with sucking against breaking balls if you're unbelievable against fastballs, and that's what he is. Yeah. If he can find that balance and just at least be a little bit better against breaking balls, he can get away with it because again, I was even sorting by high velocity, top of the zone. He pulverizes stuff at the top of the zone too. his swing just drops the head right on it and still is able to create enough leverage to to hit the ball in the air. So being able to crush fastballs at the top two, he has that one Achilles heel. It's the breaking ball. You can't cover both zones. So at least improve the swing decisions on breaking balls. And from that point forward, I think he could still succeed if you hit a buck 50 against breaking balls, but you pulverize fastballs and you don't chase the breaking balls. You can get away with that. So it'll be interesting to see how he tries to adjust and and what it looks like for Cabrera as he gets his first full season at low A next year. Yeah, that's
2: the important thing. Not chasing is the important thing.
1: Yeah, that'll hedge whatever issues he has. Now we're right in your wheelhouse, Jack. This this Julian Aguiar screams Jack McMullen. Like this is as much of a Jack McMullen pitching prospect as I've ever seen. It's Juco guy, first of all. So yeah. he's out of Cyprus Junior College, which also produced Trevor Hoffman and Jason Vargas, also Ben Francisco. Uh, I didn't put that in the write up, but Ben Francisco, uh, just a fun player, Love the way he swung the bat. Twelfth uh, round pick that really had a nice year last year. It was a, a combination of I think the Reds' pitching development, which has become so analytically driven and optimizing. You know, they they've been really good at optimizing sliders. And and that's exactly what Aguiar has seen. I mean, his slider is easily plus and he lands the heck out of it for a strike. I mean, it's 70% strike rate over the course of the season. And and he looked really good in double A too. So there was a question of, okay, he's a pitchability guy. Is he gonna get the same whiffs and double? He did. He he got plenty of whiffs in double. It was a 21% K minus BB rate, which is fantastic at the double A level. The other thing that stands out to me is the fastball. It doesn't have the best shape in the world, but it's a five-six release height, which is well, you know, below average, which means it's a lower release height than than average. MLB is about five nine, and from that high three quarters release height, fastball just takes off, and he saw an uptick there. So you optimize the arsenal, and you see an uptick in in velocity. Now averaging ninety five, the shape becomes a little less important. It does have some arm side run. He picked up plenty of ground balls, but the low release helps him get whiff at the top of the zone just enough. So it's an above average fastball. It's a plus slider. And then he's trying to find that third pitch. The curveball flashed average. The changeup's are work in progress. But at least he has two options that are somewhat viable with above average command. I think the Reds may have a number five starter here, uh, potentially even a, a, a fringe four.
2: I think they have a four or five for sure. And the floor is so high because of the way he pounds the zone. You've got six two, one eighty there. Um He's like 180 is such a lie. That guy is over 200 pounds. He, yeah. he throws like a physical guy. He looks like a physical guy. He's someone that has clearly worked on his lower half. Cause like those pants don't really fit that well. <laughs> like it, he He has gained a ton of strength and he throws in such a simple way. I'm trying to think of like the right comp to it. it it's almost, I don't want to say like it's Burns esque, but in terms of simplicity and in terms of, Slow at break, right down on the hill, and you snap it off. It is Burns adjacent. I would say the
1: mechanics actually do kind of look like that. I, that's actually a good comp.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it is. And if you do that, like it's so hard for you to screw up physically. Yeah. And that's why you see the K per nine or the BB per nine number under three. Like he doesn't walk people because he doesn't find himself out of his mechanics. I bet you can count on one hand, the number of times, if you had this information, the number of times that a pitching coach went out to the mound this year and is like, Hey, you got to shore this up mechanically. They're not telling him anything there. This guy clearly knows what he's doing with every pitch and he's feeling every pitch. If the changeup gets better, he's a four. If it doesn't, He's a five, but he's clearly a starting pitcher. That's going to eat a bunch of innings and he'll mm-hmm. debut in 24.
1: And he gets ground balls, which really helps too. Yeah. Um, with, with that slider, with the way he can locate it, uh, the fastball having a little bit of sinking action, the the curveball being a downer it, that, that helps a ton. The changeup has good action. The, the thing that I picked up when I was watching the video is, is he actually drops his arm a little bit lower on the changeup and also gets a little bit further out horizontally. So it's a further out horizontal release and lower release So hitters were picking it up. And I was wondering why, because I'm watching, I'm looking at the pitch data and I'm watching the action of it. And I'm like, they should not be having that comfortable with swings, but it just seemed like they were able to pick it up out of the hand. He almost had a little bit of a tip there. So if he's able to to shore that up, the changeup probably plays closer to average. Now you got a four pitch mix here, various looks, even splits. And that's a guy that should be able to easily massage his way through lineups and be that back end of the rotation type of starter. 5% walk rate over his final 15 starts, which really stands out because that's with a promotion to double A where the zone gets a little bit tighter and also the stuff doesn't play the same way. And guys tend not to trust it as much. Aguilar trusted it. And and the start that really sold me that he's a top 10 pitcher in the system was a start where he didn't even dominate, but it was the way that he threw and the way that he competed against a loaded Tennessee Smokies lineup that featured just about everybody. I mean, they, they had Matt shop there, Owen Casey, uh, Kevin Alcantara. They, they had the whole squad. And I'm missing probably a couple other studs that we just talked about a couple episodes ago, but I mean, the, the whole, the whole system basically was chilling there and he attacked those guys. And, and he put together, I think some really good at bats, some balls bounced the wrong way and, and some bad luck, but I love the way that he was going after those guys. And I think he's going to be able to be a comfortable back end of the rotation starter. I think so. Number seven. So we get to number seven here, a guy that I've been pretty high on since the draft. I, I loved this pick for the Reds back in 2022. South Stewart at the hot corner finished the year in high A. Six three two ten from South Florida, uh, Westminster Christian, which is where Alex Rodriguez went to school and, and several other very notable baseball players through the years. But Stewart, I-, I loved the swing right out of the draft. It was just that simple for me. I just, the swing played and and he's a big dude and i thought he moved all right for a big guy and since going pro he's worked on his conditioning he's gotten a little bit more agile which has improved his chances of sticking at third i think he can be an average defender there or at least close to it but it's all about the bat with him and i think what stands out for a guy that's as big as he is and a guy that was you know 19 last year it it was a, a borderline plus hit tool it really was i mean you look at the bat to ball skills just such a simple swing that just is a to b in the zone early stays through it. And he really maintains his direction. Well, you can tell that his intent is to go to center field. His intent is to drive the ball, at least where it's pitched, but he's always trying to work through the middle of the field. I'd like to see a little bit more violence from time to time. Like the swing almost reminds me of Jesus Aguilar where like, yeah, he'll run into a ball and it like gets over the wall by like 10 feet. But something like, you're six, three, dude. I want to see you just cut loose and just rip one. But that's not who he is. And that's okay. If he has the impact that he had in the second half, which in the second half, he cleaned up some swing mechanics. He got a little bit more consistent with his lower half, the 90th percentile jumped to one Oh four. He cut the ground ball rate by 15%. And all of a sudden the power started to really show. I think at best, it's probably average game power, maybe slightly above that. The plus hit tool is what's really going to shine through. And what really sells me on him on top of all of that is he's so advanced at the plate already. Super patient walks a lot. By the second half of the season, not only was he upping his power output, he was lowering his chase sub 20% chase rate over the last 60 something games of the season. He just seems like a high, high floor option with the improvements defensively at third. I think he could be a guy that hits for average can hit you 20 home runs and play serviceable defense at third.
2: He's everything you want to see when you think high floor bats at a high school. And you could argue that that doesn't exist like a high floor high school bat, but You've got a guy that is, you know, getting on base at a 400 clip and he's a high efficiency base dealer. He's not going to swipe many, but he was 15 for 19 in that department this year. So he picked his spots really well for a big guy. Yeah, you you wish for some more power, but he walked as much as he struck out in high A after he walked more than he struck out in low A. Like everything about his profile says safe. The question is, how dangerous can you get to make it sexier? And I, I don't know if we're going to get dangerous from Sal Stewart, which is OK, because there are a lot of guys that would love to be as well-rounded and safe as this guy at 19 years old.
1: And I think what's remarkable is, you know, he's, he still has some things he could clean up. You know, there is a, a forward move. He does kind of get heavy on that front foot, but his path is so good and his his hands work so well that he gets away with it. But what's funny is, Most of his home runs were kind of working towards the middle, even going the other way, because you have that slight drift, but he keeps the hands back. He's still strong enough to be able to hit the ball hard. If he's working off his back leg a little bit more and he's able to kind of turn on stuff middle in, if you think about it, if you're moving forward and try to get a swing off, you're going to feel crowded on stuff inside. He would get crowded at times. Guys would start to run it in on him. If he cleans that up ever so slightly, all of a sudden we might see a little bit more pull side pop here. And maybe you can project 25 homers for South Stewart, and then you're looking at a potential top 100 prospect. So he just needs that little tweak to be able to get into a little bit more power pull side. But I think that's a little bit easier to figure out than how do I stop yanking everything? I can only do damage to the pull side. How do I drive the ball the other way? And, and how do I make my path more you know efficient and consistent? That doesn't seem to be an issue for Stewart, and that's why I'm excited about what he can do offensively. Yep. Getting into the top six now. Number six, Chase Petty. And we've talked about him right-handed pitcher, finished the year in double A as a guy that, you know, his perception has changed so much from before the draft. Yeah. If I told you when he was drafted, so if I told you going into the 2021 MLB draft that Chase Petty, the biggest question with him may be his fastball. You would have laughed at me. Yeah. You would have told me what the hell are you talking about? And, and that's kind of where we're at. I'd, I'd say health is probably number one just because the way that they're handling him is a little bit interesting. The velocity fluctuations have been a little bit interesting, but the fastball is the question here. It, he's opted for more of the arm side run two seam fastball. That's fine. He's trying to go deeper into games. He's trying to stick as a starter. It's a pitch that works well off of his plus plus slider, which I'm going to get to, but man, he just doesn't have a lot of confidence in the fastball. He phased that thing out more and more and more as the year went on. And by, the last five or six starts, he was throwing it only about 23, 24% of the time. He was throwing his slider more than that. And at times throwing his change up more than that. That's a little bit alarming. Yes, it's still 93, 94. He's had some starts where it's 95, 96, but it just doesn't have a ton of life to it. And it, he doesn't command it that well. So that was a challenge for him. And I get it because he maybe was more of a four seam guy before. And now, you know, he has a different action on it and it's hard to control it to the arm side and all that good stuff. But it's always weird when a guy is not throwing his fastball as much and actually phasing it out a little bit against more challenging competition, but the slider is insane. It's, it's the best in the system. He, and he has two variations of it. And now when we talked about it, you and I had a conversation, do I grade this as two different pitches? And I couldn't because track man can't, it, it, yeah. it conflates what is, The cutter variation and the slider variation. The slider variation is upper 80s with with more sweep. The cutter variation is low 90s with gyro cut, like just break down where it's sharp. And he commands the heck out of both of them. He landed both of those pitches, both those variations for a strike right around 70% of the time. And that's why he was comfortable throwing it so much. I don't have as much concern with the high slider usage Because of the fact that it's two separate pitches, but at the same time, we're talking about precedence. There's not really any big league starters who throw their slider 50% of the time and have success. But you could also qualify that as two different pitches. You could say really 15% of those are a cutter and and that negates some of that slider usage. So it's a unique situation here, but ultimately I think the two biggest questions are, how is How much confidence can he have in that fastball? Can he make it heavier to be more of a true sinker to get ground balls? And two, can this guy stay healthy? Because the Reds are obviously concerned about it by the way that they handle him. And I, and I understand that he had to elbow flare up before the season even started.
2: Do you remember the video? Like we were we were sitting there, what, a pandemic, right? It mm-hmm. was a pandemic bullpen. It was him and Jack Leiter and Al had like – the GoPro camera like right behind him with the L screen and Petty just ripped off high spin hundred miles an hour. Like uh, yeah, a lot of people are probably wondering where that went. Um, uh, and yeah. NBC 10 Philadelphia, I've got a uh, news story. This NJ kid throws a hundred MPH fastballs. The MLB is noticing. It's not the MLB, the major <laughs> league baseball. No, but <laughs> you should know better. NBC 10 Philly. Uh, I like this version of Petty better. And I know that we've had that conversation before, but like he was one trick pony when he was drafted, he was one trick pony with Minnesota. And now he's become more than that. I just, I wonder like where his confidence level is at because the fastball usage has gone down so much. And, and I understand that it's a different fastball, but like that guy, I don't know. I, I, if I were sitting next to him, I would just pull up that video and be like, remember when you did this, like you should know that that pitch can be a good pitch. Mm -hmm. So like, let's find it again. And I feel like finding a fastball, I don't know. I, it's a different case for everybody, but I feel like finding refinding a fastball should be the easiest pitch to refind.
1: I do wonder if if that four seamer when when he got to the Reds had you know a little bit too much dead like it was a dead zone pitch and that's why they said hey let's let's go to the sinker, let's go to like a two seam type. They have Hunter Green. <laughs> like it, yeah. this
2: is the organization that has Hunter Green.
1: Yeah, correct. Correct. Well, maybe they're like, okay, we're, we're not letting this happen anymore. We're not we're not gonna get more guys like that. I don't know. I, I I can't tell you, but obviously there was a concerted effort to adjust the shape of the fastball. The challenge is that it doesn't have enough sink. It's more run and run from a three quarter release point. It, it just doesn't do as much. And it's gradual. that's why yeah. He, yeah, it is exactly. And it's not good extension. So you only got a 47% ground ball rate on it. If you're going to have a heavy or two seam type fastball, it's got to be over 50% ground ball. And I'm hoping that he can find something with a little bit more vertical drop and and a little bit more heaviness. And maybe he could, he could have more confidence within the zone that said, He's an athlete on the mound. You're not going to find many more athletic pitchers. He's a competitor. I love the way that – I mean, some people may get rubbed the wrong way. I don't care. That's why I want my pitchers. He's a psycho sometimes out there on the mound. That's great. Uh, and that slider alone, the two variations of it, will make him a big league pitcher. He could go through a lineup one time almost throwing that pitch 80% because of the two versions, because of how he can throw it to lefties and righties, because it's low 90s and then upper 80s with the sweep. The fastball is the big question. And then can he find a little bit more confidence in the changeup? I don't even care about that as much if he can find a better quality fastball and find a way to adjust that shape a little bit. And the command being above average really helps. The very least, he's a swing man. But I think he could be a high end four, uh, if if and maybe even a fringe three, if he can piece these things together. The velocity fluctuations are the weird part, though. First start coming off of the injury, he averaged ninety seven in four innings. Then it was as low as 92, some starts. Then the last two starts, he averaged over 95. So that was very encouraging. But I don't like seeing the ups and downs. You know, that's, that's always something that's a little bit alarming for a young arm. We will get into the top five in just a moment here, which if you're watching on YouTube, that's going to have the nice little gifts there. But before that, a quick break. Top five time, Jack. And this is where it gets fun. A couple names that we've talked about maybe a little bit in the past. A couple new names. And we start with a new name. Ty Floyd right-handed pitching prospect who was drafted in the competitive balance round 38th overall this past draft in 2023. I think the Reds just did an awesome job in this draft, the way that they were able to maneuver to get louder and Floyd is, is awesome. And there's a chance. I mean, there's a non-zero chance. I mean, there's always a non-zero chance, but I don't think it's crazy to say that Floyd could have a little bit more upside than louder. If it all comes together. It, it, it's a big if and Louder's floor is what really makes him such a good pitching prospect. But what Floyd has going for him is the same thing that Bryce Miller had going for him. Uh, but I think with a little bit more potential with the secondaries, it's low release, high carry 20 inches of vert. And it just takes off. He dominated hitters with his fastball. Of course that's 17 strikeout performance on the big stage, 27 strikeouts over his final two starts, both in the college world series He had been on the fringe of being a top five round guy and just could not bolster the draft stock enough in season until his finish to this past year. I have a 70 on that fastball. I think the slider can be an above average pitch, which already separates him from where Bryce Miller was at, at this stage, and puts him closer to Brian Wu, and I think even could separate him from Brian Wu. And then the changeup is below average. We'll see. He's got plenty of time. I think in the pro ranks, they can maybe help him find a new grip. Maybe he goes with a split grip. That seems to be the case with these, uh, I think, high carry fastball guys. They tend not to supinate as well. Uh, maybe, or excuse me, pronate as pronate. well. Yeah, yeah. Pro- they tend not to pronate as well. So they go with that splitter grip like Joe Ryan. That could be a game changer for Floyd if he has that. I mean, we just saw Bryce Miller going viral with with his experimentation with the splitter. I'm sure Floyd will try it if he even has an average change up. It's all about the fastball here. He's the kind of guy that can get away with 55, 60% fastball usage. Well,
2: based on what I read on Twitter, Bryce Miller can be done working on that splitter because it's already perfect. We saw the yeah. screenshot in that one bullpen, right? That one pitch yeah. that was at 800 RPM. Like, we're good. Yeah, That's that
1: 175% one one effort uh, change up or yeah. splitter in, in a bullpen. That's all you need. You're
2: chilling. Yeah, he's yeah. good. It's perfect already. Um, yeah, Floyd. So I will push back a little bit on a higher ceiling than Louder, because it is like a legit four-pitch mix for Rhett Louder, and we'll talk about him in a moment. Like there's a reason that he's, you know, higher on this list than Floyd. Um I just I worry about like fastball reliance. Like sure. We have yet to see a Cy Young caliber season from someone with that, you know, high IVB fastball reliance, like Joe Ryan normalized in that start in Atlanta. Bryce Miller normalized a little bit. Woo normalized a little bit. So while it is a good product to get there, like we just haven't seen it yet. And you know, Strider is another good example. But Strider's slider is one of the best in baseball.
1: Well, and so I was like, even going to say Strider's like the, the the king of these types. And even he. Has run into some issues. You mentioned Cy Young, like he, he, he's the king of this. This is a that's the pinnacle of what you can be at this type. And even he ran into a little bit of trouble to to potentially be a Cy Young candidate. So I do think he can win one one day. But but your point is received well because it, it is a good one. I, I think the larger point that I, I and I'm trying to think like what is the ceiling of these types becomes a fun conversation that you and I should probably revisit in the future because I think Floyd can have those bigger bursts, those 17 strikeout outings, right? Rhett louder didn't have those. He can have those stretches where he is better than he might have stretches that Rhett louder will never have, but does that mean he has a higher ceiling? Maybe not. So that is a great point by you. Um, And and I, I think the interesting aspect of this is, People probably see this type and say, volatility. I actually kind of think the opposite. I think it's a volatile volatile profile if you're expecting middle rotation. But I actually think it's a very high floor if you're just expecting big league arm. And that's why I like Floyd is because with this fastball alone, he could just come out of the bullpen, throw 97, and just dominate guys for multi-innings. But I think with the slider already flashing above average, he's ahead of a lot of the other recent types that we've seen that have had big league success here. So I do think he could be better than a Bryce Miller. I do think he could be better than, uh, you know, potentially even better than, than where Joe Ryan is settled in, but it's so inconsistent. It's hard to tell. I would say Joe Ryan's probably the closest comp of what Floyd could be, if it all kind of comes together. Uh, And I I would say probably you're hoping for a little bit more from Rhett louder. So, so that makes sense. But if that changeup becomes a thing for him, then look out because then he could be knocking on Rhett louder's door.
2: Well, and here's the thing, man, like the Cincinnati Reds would kill for Bryce Miller and they have a guy that can be Bryce Miller in a
1: year. Miller flew quickly. If you got a fastball like that, you're going to work quick. Yeah, there's no point in wasting bullets in low A, high A. He's going to just dismantle guys like that. I think he's going to be in double A very quickly, and then it's going to be fun to see how the secondaries develop. The Reds being so good at developing these sliders, if he gets anything close to a chase petty slider, then it might be game over. So I'm very eager to see what that slider looks like when he comes, you know, to, I guess when he makes his debut, uh, pro pro wise, cause we haven't really seen him yet. Yep. Number four guy that we've talked about plenty, um, talk about prospect fatigue. This is going to be a guy that by the time he debuts, he's going, the the fatigue's going to be up there with just about anybody. Edwin Arroyo shortstop switch hitter. It feels like he's 24 at this point, but he's still extremely young. What like just turned 20 years old. Yeah. He's a great defender at short. I do think that the, the glove gets a little overhyped. I think it's above average at short, which is great. You don't find a lot of above average, big league shortstop projections in the minor leagues, but I don't think it's like top of the line, elite, 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 elite defensive ability. It's, it's solid. And I do think he has the ability to play all over. He, he has the skill set that allows him to be versatile. The hit tool is average maybe slightly above the power is tough to project because the evs aren't great but he does lift pretty well when when he gets a pitch that he can you know kind of create some loft and, and do damage on and you look at the, the video that we have here like he unloads on that and that's a swing that is geared for lift it's trying to strike that balance though because i don't really care about how many home runs or royal hits i'd rather him be a doubles and and hit for average guy and walk than oh sell out for lift and now you're only hitting 260 But, oh, great, he snuck out 15 homers. It might play better in Great American Ballpark, and that's where it's interesting for him. But I think he's still trying to figure out who he is as a hitter because, yeah, he wants to squeeze out more power since he's a smaller frame, and shortstops have to slug a little bit nowadays. But I think it's most important for him to be able to to, to hit for some average and get on base. So he's still trying to strike that balance, and it's a process. But overall, I thought he had a really good finish to the year and just continues to to climb, you know, like just peg by peg. It was a great finish of the
2: year. Um, the, the walk numbers are like not good enough. I think it's like a 60 to 65 point jump from batting average to OBP, which like is okay. You wish you'd be better. He's always going to have double digit triples. It seems because he lifts like that. And because he's so fast, he's going to be a threat to 25 or 30 bags. Um, and man, like it was what? 10 triples in low A in 2022. And then it was 11 triples between high A and double A in 2023. So if, if speed and the gaps are this guy's game, he's going to be valuable for somebody. Problem is he's in a really good organization that has a bunch of middle infielders and they're going to have to trade one this offseason, season. It, it seems so like he's blocked. There's traffic, but he turned 20 years old in August. So he's fine. Um, I, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot going for him right now. It was good that he was part of that Castillo deal because it got him on the radar, but it is going to create prospect fatigue. I wouldn't be shocked if this is like another headliner in a deal for the Reds to go get somebody else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the tough part. Cause I, I'm sure they want to keep him, but you just kind of look at, you look at the upside and when I'm, when I'm moving a guy, it's like, how much could I possibly regret this? When I, if I'm moving to Noelvi Marte, I'm like, I could, I could lose sleep over that for the next 10 years if he hits his ceiling, right? Uh, even though he's, he's a polarizing prospect. Edwin Arroyo, with where the Reds are at now, I just I, I think he's a very high probability big leaguer. And that's why he's a back-end top 100 guy for us. But what, what are the odds that you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe we parted with that guy? I, I don't think it's that high. But on the flip side, I do think that there's a lot of teams that say, oh, you're willing to give us a Royal? Like, we need a shortstop. Man, you look at the Marlins, like, that guy could start for the Marlins at shortstop within the next 365 days. Like, you look at a team like that, that's a great headliner for them. So it seems like he's the perfect in-betweener to end up getting moved here. Yeah, you know, I'm not rooting for him to get moved, but maybe for his sake, that might be better because I don't really see a path to him playing anytime soon, and his glove is extremely valuable. So if he's a super utility guy, you're kind of selling him short there. He I know he I said he isn't an, an elite shortstop, but he's a very good one. And that's where a lot of his value is going to come from. Yeah. Number three. Talk about a polarizing prospect here. Cam Collier. I've seen him as low as I think baseball America had him at like 10. And I've seen him, you know, quite high in some ranks. I, I tend to be on the higher side. There's some concern about his body in terms of just continuing to, to get bigger and thicker just based on his build. But then I look at his dad and I'm like, Lou Collier was quite fine for a long time. And Cam Collier has as good of a work ethic, as good a makeup as you're going to find. And that's why I think he ultimately can fight that off and and be able to stick at third base or at least be in in a a serviceable defender there. What sells me on Collier is what he did last year. The numbers may not look as good on the surface, But this guy hit the crap out of the ball as a really young player at the low A level, 18 years old in an environment where the ball goes nowhere. 90th percentile exit velocity of 106 miles an hour last year. And I watched the defense. Yes, he could get a little flat footed. Yes. There's some concern about him getting heavy with his feet, but he's got a plus maybe plus plus arm. His actions are pretty good. And he puts himself in decent spots. Another guy that needs to improve against breaking balls. But for him, it's more pitch recognition. His swing in terms of of the, the angles he creates and entering the zone early and keeping it through there. He makes plenty of contact on breaking balls. He just expands a little bit too much on those. Crushes fastballs. If you take his last 60 games, posted a 773 OPS, but 287, 384, 389. The 389 slug, you could look at that and be like, oh, where's the power? The power was sapped by the Florida state league a little bit. And I think it was also sapped by a ground ball rate, 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity through that stretch. He walked at a 13% clip, 53% ground ball rate. I think the big reason why we saw the ground ball rate was swinging too much at these breaking balls and also just little bit of a timing issue you you look at the video now like if for those who are watching he it's a bat waggle that it's just hard to time up perfectly and he's already smoothed that out i've seen some video of him hitting in the cage where he's really quieted that bat waggle because when you try to time a waggle up with a load you can just get caught in between sometimes the bats you know pointed this way sometimes the bats pointed this way when you're getting into your slot and that can cause you to feel rushed or get caught in between so a simple timing adjustment I think it'd be all he needs to hit the ball in the air more. And then all of a sudden start tapping into what is very easily plus power. And I think he has an above average field to hit.
2: Yeah. So I,
1: I want to ask you, like,
2: what does the best version of Cam Collier look like? If if you were to give me an 162 game, at a, like, give me a slash line.
1: I mean, I, I think he can hit 275 with with 30 bombs. Like, I, I think that's a, in there. High OVP. High, high OBP. I'm really bad at like the equating that to a slash line. Exactly. Yeah. But 275, 13, 12, 13% you think, walk. You think he's, he's 275, out a little bit.
2: 275, 375, 510, 515.
1: I think that's the ceiling. And I think it's possible, especially Damn. in great American ballpark. He needs to lift more in terms of hitting the ball in the air. But again, he's he was 18. You don't see 18 yeah. year olds putting up these EVs. You just don't. Are, So I ask, are you worried about the whiff at all? Not really. No, I'm only worried about the pitch recognition, uh, recognizing curveballs. His field of hits pretty good, man. Like his hands work pretty well. I've seen people say they don't. I think they do. He adjusts well. The contact rates would back that. For me, it's really just recognizing that spin and Mm -hmm. and still being able to put the same swing on it. But in terms of field of hit, I, I think it's pretty good. And again, this was an 18 year old in full season ball. What are you with that? A 23% clip last year? Well, really I think so. Twenty,
2: bad. Yeah, like 25, 23 to 25% K rate. Um, do
1: you think he's a DH? I, at this moment, no. It okay. really depends where his body trends. And, and I hate trying to project that. I think at the very least, that guy can play first. I mean, He can play first. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, oh, well, he could be a DH. I don't think so. Like Even if he can't play third, you're telling me that guy can't play first? Look at some of the guys we're trying to put at first. Except like of, of the guys that do play first, there's right. no way he'd be so slow that he can't play a decent first base, especially with how hard he works and how how well his hands work. I think he'd be a good first, no, first baseman. Man.
2: No, yeah. I mean like Christian Encarnacion Strand, like he's he's the first baseman right now. So it's like we might as well just put Collier at first base too. Um, no, I mean, this swing is gorgeous. So I like you really just want to make sure that it's not a fastball exclusive swing, and, and it seems like it isn't.
1: No. And he makes the contact on the non-fastballs. It's just the wreck. And if he could, if he could just pick up spin, it, th- this guy works so hard too, that I, I feel really confident in it. And and that's the thing too, is like, if, if he didn't have the makeup and the bloodlines that are just, I think are a huge key here, right? This guy was always been playing above his years since he was a kid getting his GED early. Like, I'm going to bet on that, and, and I think we're going to see a maybe a little bit of growing pains, but I, I think we could really see him in the second half flourish uh, at the high A level, and I'm excited to see what that looks like, especially just getting out of the Florida State League. Yeah, Number two, Connor Phillips, a guy you saw plenty of. He got a taste of the big leagues. He showed some flashes. I mean, we saw him strike out nine and seven against good big league lineups. Then we also saw his last start of the year where he threw 12 pitches and not one of them was a strike. That to me was mental. Um, That's concerning. But when you have a 60 fastball, a 60 slider, a curveball that flashes 60. I'm willing to wait on the command and he's 22. He's sick.
2: I'm a big fan. Um, And I know that when we were texting, I was like kind of doomsdaying and you were like, why are you out on him? I'm like, I'm not out on him. I'm trying to just doomsday it because I got drunk on the fastball. Like I, I see it and I'm just like, that's going to get a million whiffs. And then you got the slider coming from that too. And, and, and you made a good point. It was like, I, I'd like to see him bossify the, the delivery, right. And make it a little bit cleaner, a little bit slowed down. And my counterpoint to you was. Boz is one of the very few people on the planet that can make that shit come out of his hand working that slowly. And part of the thing that I think makes Phillips great is you know, like how herky-jerky it looks. I don't think it's herky-jerky. I think it's more vertical, and I think that gives off a little bit of that herky-jerky nature. But it is one of the more upright deliveries of a high-spin fastball at the top of the zone that you see. And I don't think there's a good comp for it. And if there's not a good comp for it, chances are it's a slight outlier, and it plays pretty well. And guess yeah. what? It does. And that's why a slider and a curveball works because not many people are coming from that slot.
1: Yeah, it, 60% strike rate overall is just not going to cut it. 64% on the fastball does cut it. But yeah, what do you think he needs to do with that delivery? Like, there is a little bit of that, like, fall off to the glove side. I just feel like at 22 years old, working with a big league team now, having this the entire offseason, having big league spring training, you're telling me they can't shore up you know those mechanics a little bit because he's an athlete. And and he's flashed the ability to repeat the delivery. It's not like he's just it's a Joe Boyle situation here where it's just right. it's just how many bats can he miss to circumvent the the lack of command. He has stretches where he's around the zone with with his fastball slider and curveball.
2: So are you able to zoom in a little bit for the YouTube crowd? Yeah. OK, zoom in now. Yeah, I'm I'm going to walk through like right before he lifts his left leg. Watch the slight drift to the first base side. Do you see yeah. his shoulders slightly drifting yeah. to the first base side? Yeah. So the the only thing that kind of jumps out to me in that regard is if he's just square the whole time and if he just like, you know, gets that left shoulder pointing towards the plate immediately, that probably eliminates it decent bit of the of the east to west misses and then it just becomes a battle of trying to like yank it down but not too much. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I think a lot of his misses were upstairs, like very upstairs. And and
1: those arm side misses, because if you're leaving, you know, you're leaving with your front shoulder, that arm kind of drags and and everything's running up to the arm side. So that totally makes sense. And then with a breaking ball, you're either leaving it up or you're tugging it too hard downwards and that's where he has some of that inconsistency, which is funny because slider about six, seven percent better strike rate. And, and a slider is a pitch where you can get away with leaving it a little bit. Right. Whereas a curveball, you got to really get on top of that thing. And if you leave with the front side, that thing's spiked or it's yeah. taken off. So I feel like that's something that they're going to be able to identify and work on. And they just didn't have a chance to last year. Right. He starts in double a carves up there. He gets to triple a. He's looking pretty good there. Then he gets to the big leagues. They're trying to make a playoff spot. He has a couple good starts. You're not going to change things start to start. We talked about on the just baseball show with like with pitching ninja with like Franber Valdez. Like, is he going to be able to fix what what's going on start to start? And he's like, probably an offseason thing. Uh, that was probably the case for Connor Phillips then, too. What do you think the ceiling is? The floor is closer, like elite closer. But yeah. I, I think he's too good. I think he's at least... A frustrating and exciting back end guy where it's like flashes of of a three, and then sometimes it's like, oh, he only gave us two innings today and walked five.
2: Yeah, I'll give you one. I think the ceiling is something around Cease. Like as crazy With as that face. sounds. But we're talking, we're talking ceiling. And like the best version of Phillips is is a guy that is going to make you rip your hair out for five starts in a row, but then look like like Nolan Ryan meets Doc Gooden meets you know Denton True Young for a minute, so um, we saw that. Like that was that was the brief sample, and there were you know seven walk outings for Dylan Cease early in his big league career. Oh, yeah, I think he had a he had a nine walk outing or something. Like it was just yeah. bizarre. A subdued Good. cease plays for me, man. I mean, I'll yeah. take that any day of the week. I mean, dude, dude the Reds fans want Cease right now, yeah. they want to go trade for Cease. So, like, you've got you've got a poor man Cease at home right now with like the hundredth
1: percentile outcome being Cease. That's like a number two cease. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Number one, Rhett Louder. The complete opposite, by as safe as they come, <laughs> as long as he's healthy. I mean, it seems like he's just gonna fly through. He might not, he might get to the big leagues before Paul Skeens. I don't think that's impossible. Didn't see him throw last year. He threw plenty of innings. I think they wanted to just shut it down. And I think he's going to probably start in double A and quickly get up to the big leagues. We've talked about him plenty with our draft episodes and things like that. What a smooth, easy delivery. It's He's got the, the the arm side fastball. He's also got a four seamer that'll sneak up at the top of the zone. The slider's plus. The changeup's above average, but plays closer to plus because of his feel for it. The command is plus, but probably even Closer to plus plus uh, when it's all said and done with the way he's able to fill up the zone. Every single pitch he threw was like 65 to 70 percent strike rate all last year. Uh, It's just amazing how how satisfying he is to watch pitch. It's fill up the zone with whatever I want sequence. However, I want it's got to be so fun calling games for him as a catcher. And I, again, I just think it's, he's not going to waste many bullets in the minor leagues because he's a perfect blend of being able to miss bats while also pitching a weak contact and getting ground balls, which is a perfect fit for great American ballpark. This guy has the goods to be one of the more consistent arms that you got. And also, I think when it comes to top 100 arms, probably the safest, safest bet. If you told me, pick a guy that, you know, has to be a back end of the rotation arm or you're in big trouble. Louder would be one of the first names I pick.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I think Job is probably up there for me. I guess Skeens is, like, number one, but, like, Skeens would be number one if you ask any question. Um, But I think Louder proved that he is not as far away from Skeens as many would think in that game that you have clipped here. Like, this is him making Dylan Cruz look like an imbecile for a pitch. And Cruz, that might have been the only pitch where he looked like an imbecile in 2023. Um, Louder is... Like yes, he's he's incredibly high floor, but like you know how we make fun of some draft grades, where it's like how is everything a sixty five? Yes, correct. Everything is a sixty with him, and it's just it's hard to wrap your brain around like everything this guy does, he does it really well. Um, So I I have a question, like if the fastball is fifty five. The slider, 60, the changeup, 60, the command, 65. Why is the future value
1: 55? I just don't know if there's ace upside. Ace, like 60 is an ace, right? We probably have three pitchers off the top of my head that are that are 60s. That's going to be Skeens, Skeens, Horton, and and Joe Painter or Painter. And Painter. Yeah, that's it. I, I think he's 55 plus. I should probably put a plus there. Like he's, yeah. I think he's sandwiched in between the 55s of the world and the 60s. And that's so, why I have this, this cop out plus that we put in our, in our uh, write-ups.
2: Yeah. I mean, turn on like the motivational YouTube video when I say this, but um, I think he's going to prove like start after start when it's a big moment that he is closer to those guys than we want to give him credit for because we were thinking Skeens was on a different planet coming into that game. And they go to the 12th, twi- tied it nothing like I don't know. We learn something about louder each time he steps up and like this dude clearly has some cojones on him. And uh, I I think we're going to get some opportunities to see that when he finds himself in marquee pitching matchups early in his career.
1: I'm excited. I mean, a hot start in double A and I'm ready to bump that dude uh, maybe to that 60 future values here. But that's a good catch. I I do think he's closer to the 55 plus, um, you know, when you when you really start to think about. Is he with the grouping of of the McAbles of the world? I'd take him over McAble. So he's he's definitely closer to that 60 range, knocking on the door of those guys, but I think still just just shy of them. But can't wait to see what he's going to do. I assume he starts in double, and I think he makes quick work of those guys. It's good. The challenge is going to be AAA in the big leagues once he gets up there. But that'll do it for this episode. Another farm system in – I guess on the document now where we can look at just baseball.com. You can see all the farm systems that we've broken down so far. Uh, we continue to churn through them, try to get through all of these, this off season. And of course, got a top 100 update coming in. Not too long from now, we will also be doing top 10 spy position. So look forward to doing that. Uh, it's going to be two longer episodes. If you haven't noticed already in the off season, and then three shorter during the regular season or as we get closer to the regular season if you can leave a rating help us grow the show we'd really appreciate it uh if you're on youtube subscribe also appreciate that as always thank you for listening look forward to talking prospects with you next week have a happy new year